0: to the Creative Collective Podcast. I'm Kelly and I'm here with my co-host Jen. And today we are thrilled to welcome Michelle Mosley. Michelle and I go back many years. And so it's just an honor to have her on today. She is a licensed mental health counselor in North Carolina. She believes all people deserve respect, compassion, and access to mental and physical health care. Michelle specializes in working with survivors of religious trauma and spiritual abuse and those who are exiting high-control religion. She also works with folks around body image concerns, anxiety, grief, and life transitions. In addition to her clinical work, Michelle provides education about mental health for faith leaders and enjoys exploring all that North Carolina has to offer in her free time. Well, uh, Michelle, we are so excited that you're here with us today, and I cannot wait to dive into this conversation on spiritual abuse. I have been looking forward to it because I know that you are an expert in this area, and you have walked many people through it, so I'm Just looking forward to this conversation. What can you share a little bit about your background and what led you to specialize in treating clients with spiritual abuse?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited that y'all invited me to be part of this podcast and um I'm excited to talk about this topic as well cuz I think it affects so many people. So for me, I previously worked in both volunteer and vocational ministry. For me specifically, it was Christian evangelical ministry for about 15 years total. During that experience, I had my own personal experience with spiritual abuse, and I decided that as a second career, I wanted to pivot, find another way to use my skills and to gain more skills to support people, and that's what led me into the mental health field. And I always kind of refer to working with spiritual abuse or working with survivors of spiritual trauma as the niche that found me. I didn't go into this field with the plan to, to niche there, to specialize there, but I found that lots of clients, that was part of what was coming up with whatever they were dealing with and that I really was able to connect with them and, and support them in a unique way.
0: Yeah. So fun fact for those who don't know, but that's actually how Michelle and I initially connected. We, we're both on staff with the same ministry. And then later in life, we have reconnected and have had some good conversations around this subject. So I think naturally you were the person that I wanted to reach out to about this topic. It's something that I think is so important, but not talked about enough. Mm-hmm in non-therapy circles. Mm -hmm. So I think just something to, that we're, I'm just glad we're able to make more people aware of it, that this is something that exists and that if this is something that someone might be going through, that they're not alone. Yeah, that is so important. So how do you define spiritual abuse and what are the common symptoms?
1: So there's a couple of groups that have worked to create a definition of spiritual abuse. So I want to kind of give a nod to the Reclamation Collective and the Religious Trauma Institute. And I'm just going to read the definition of spiritual abuse that they have come up with. That spiritual abuse is the conscious or unconscious use of power to direct control or manipulate another or to influence one's capacity for choice within a spiritual or religious context. And I think that kind of sums it up. I think it's important to know that sometimes spiritual abuse isn't a conscious thing, that a leader is not setting out to spiritually abuse someone, and it still happens, and it still has a large impact. I think it's important to note that it can include verbal abuse, financial abuse, physical abuse, emotional, sexual abuse, any of that that occurs within a spiritual context, and particularly at the hands of someone who has a leadership role within that spiritual context. And some of the common symptoms, the common ways that I, they see it show up with folks are a sense of hopelessness, confusion about what's happening, You know, maybe they're being told that this is for your good or that God is refining you, but there's something inside of them that knows that this is not okay. This is hurtful and harmful. A lot of fear, a sense of hypervigilance. So just being super on edge, on guard and aware of everything that's happening all the time, like your nervous system cannot calm down. that can also manifest as a sense of panic, particularly if you're going into like certain buildings or you're going to be around certain people
0: that may have been involved with the spiritual abuse. So that is fascinating. When you read that definition, I think my eyes got wide because that is far more encompassing than I thought it would be. And I think a lot of people can probably relate given what their experience might have been. What would you say in your experience is the common causes of spiritual abuse among your clients?
1: Yeah, I thought a lot about this one. And one of the things that I see come up a lot, I work with a lot of women who are coming out of high control religions or religions, religious settings where they experience spiritual abuse. And often a common theme is related to patriarchy or not conforming to the gender norms that were set forth in, in their religious background. So it could be something like, Still being single when you're in your 30s and your religious environment, your church has set up that like, you know, you're going to go to high school, go to college, get married, have children, and you're not following that path. It could be, you know, not having children. And I find that it's really irrelevant as to the reason why a woman doesn't have children, that there can be lumped together of like, you're not fulfilling your role as a good spiritual person because you're not meeting this expectation or this norm. So those are things that I I see a lot. I also see folks experiencing spiritual abuse when they make any kind of attempt to set a boundary. You know, it may be I can no longer be involved with this committee because I have too much on my plate. And then leadership might say, you know, we're supposed to give everything to the Lord, or there can be some kind of shaming or blaming around how much service or how much of your time that you give. And then another common one that I see is when there's a hierarchy of leadership and the folks at the top can't be questioned. No one can ask a question about why this is happening. What did this mean? Where did you get that interpretation that 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 person is just surrounded by a lot of yes people? Hmm. And then a fourth thing I thought about is sexual misconduct, particularly at the hands of leaders, whether that is, you know, a youth leader with minors or a leader in the church with someone who is a, of an adult age, but is still in a position of following this person who's in leadership.
0: Yeah, I just, I mean, I think back on some of my experiences and how in those contexts, when you're, like, in the middle of it, it feels normal. (laughs) I mean, like, it feels like, yeah, I mean, like, you The amount of justifying that you end up doing to make it seem okay, even when you're, like, whatever you want to call like, your spiny senses or, like, whatever it is, your Mm -hmm. intuition is, like, saying, like, red flag, red flag. But you're kind of like, okay, but, like, they're the leader. They know best. Yeah and there's like just like this justification that can happen along the way and i think that can just be scary
1: yeah and that that piece about intuition you know it's almost like your intuition is supposed to be turned off that you're not allowed to even believe that you have any intuition you know those spidey senses don't matter that they can be explained away and that mm-hmm. that i mean that really lies at at the root of a lot of the abuse that happens, that someone is not allowed to say, you know, my gut is telling me that this is not, this is not okay. And I'm allowed to not have to continue to engage in this.
0: And especially like in a religious context too, right? Because then you've got, you know, there's like the, well, but the Holy Spirit is is more important than your gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Or it can be, like, explained in a way that, honestly, a shameful way mm-hmm. to make you feel like you're not as, like, air quotes, close to God or doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you're listening to the wrong voices yes. or... Whatever that might be. Yikes. It's yeah. Scary.
1: It is. It is. And it makes you understand, at least for me, understand why it is so impactful in a person's life when they've gone through something like this.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you good, Jen? Or do you want, do you want me? You're not good. Okay. I will edit this out obviously, but Jen has a, Jen has a dog at her house that likes to speak his mind. Mm-hmm. He wants to be on the podcast. So every time conveniently we're recording... every time. So whenever we're recording, I think he knows something is because he's yeah. like in the background. So anyway, I will edit this out. So. I'll just, I'll just keep taking notes. You're good. Thank you. You're good. Okay. What are the primary methods or therapies you use in treating spiritual abuse?
1: That really depends. And I kind of smile when I say that answer because I think there's so many things in counseling or therapy that it's like, it depends. But it really does depend on the individual person who, what their experience was, what type of religious background they're coming out of, because there's a lot of things that are common in any kind of high-control religion. But there's also some differences as far as how, you know, text may have been used or what the specific beliefs were. So some of the things that I think are most important that I really try to bring into my work is building rapport with the person, making sure that they – are aware that I'm not coming in as any kind of expert. I don't think that I am the person that can tell you how to live your life and what makes the most sense for you. I think you're the expert on that, and my job is to help walk you along that path. I think also helping folks tune back into their intuition, knowing that in therapy you have autonomy. I might throw out a suggestion of something that we could try, and you are free to say no. I don't want to do that. I'm not ready to do that. Or I would like to know more about that, but I'm not, I don't want to commit to it right now that you have that autonomy there. And also incorporating consent into everything that we do. Cause so many times for folks who've experienced spiritual abuse, their consent was taken away. They were told how to be, what to do, what was wrong with them if they didn't meet those criteria So it's really important to me that consent is part of the whole process from the very first time that I might talk to a potential client. As far as some of the types of therapies that I utilize, sometimes I utilize some narrative therapy, which allows folks to tell their story and to be able to process it in different ways and to emphasize different pieces. Some folks really, they really just need somebody to listen and a place where I can say all of this. And there's no one that is telling me that it was okay. There's no one that is telling me how horrible it was. No one's trying to push me in any direction, but I am allowed to own my story. Hmm. Sometimes I work work on what in therapy is called skills building. But basically, a lot of times when folks grew up in really high control religions, maybe they never learned how to actually feel and recognize their emotions and like communicate them effectively, or they may have never learned how to have a healthy conversation with another adult. And so we work on building some skills around those things that they missed out on at different points in life, just because of the context that they were in a lot of work around reconnecting with your body, especially I find that folks who are socialized female within a high control religion get a lot of messages around shame and their bodies. I think everybody does, but really those folks who are socialized female get a lot. So learning how to reconnect with your body um, and that overlaps with some of the other work that I do around body image concerns that sometimes that can overlap of the messages they've gotten what's called somatic work. So that's some of the things that do help you like get back into your body. How do I feel when I do this? How can I do this? Different exercises or things that allow me to tune into my body, to work through emotion with my body, to really connect the brain and the body. And then I also utilize something called brain spotting which is brain-body connection type of intervention that is utilized for trauma. I find that it's really helpful for complex trauma because it allows you to focus intentionally on the emotions, the sensations, the thoughts that might come up around what you experience. And to do that in a therapy session, kind of ride the wave of the experience with a supportive person there in the therapist role. So those are some of the, the therapies that I utilize.
0: Hey, do you have some goals for 2024 that involve starting a new business or maybe ramping up your current business in a way that maybe is beyond your current skill set? I would love to help you with that and invite you to book a free call with me. I would love to help you with social media, marketing, strategizing, um, this is coaching overall to help you get your business where you want it to be. You can find me at com, and I'll link that in the show notes. It just, the entire thing sounds very healing. <laughs> and that's just like the word that comes to mind. And I, to be honest, I had never really considered what I went through at spiritual abuse until having a conversation with someone who was in a similar context, Mm -hmm. a similar environment. And there were things that we started breaking down that I was like, wow, right. That doesn't (laughs) seem right. So do you think it's possible and probable that there are a lot of people that don't even realize what they're going through currently or what they have been through falls into this category?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that is possible. I know a lot of the folks that I have worked with in therapy or, you know, have talked to just kind of in my own life and even myself, you know, there was a point where we didn't recognize anything like would have never said that I'm experiencing spiritual abuse when it was happening. And I think that's true for a lot of folks. I think there's a lot of folks that may be experiencing spiritual abuse now, but don't have the framework to understand that. And especially if you've grown up in whatever religion and whatever context, that's what you know. And so you don't really have anything To compare it to, but I definitely think there's lots of folks that are not aware, or there's at least a part of their journey
0: where they weren't aware. Right. And I know earlier in conversation, we were talking about spiritual abuse, religious trauma. Are those the same, or are they like, are they the different terms for the same thing, or are they two different things? That is a great question. Um,
1: I can tell you how I approach that. I think that really depends on the person. I feel like that my role is to help people understand, like, this is a definition of spiritual abuse. This is a definition of religious trauma. With trauma, it's about how it shows up in your nervous system. Hmm. And then also we talk about something called adverse religious experiences. Some folks identify more with that, that I had some experiences that kind of, you know, maybe light lit up my spidey senses or were kind of like, "Mm, something's awful about that, but they wouldn't label them to the extent of abuse or trauma. So for me, when I'm working with folks that have had any of these experiences, I view my role as I'm giving you this information. You get to choose what description fits best for you. So for some folks, they would say they've experienced spiritual abuse and religious trauma. Some might say one or the other, and some might describe it in a totally different way.
0: But that's that's kind of how I approach it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I think one can feel different. Like in saying it, it feels different to me. Not that one is more or less than the other, but just I think that makes a lot of sense. Is how it resonates with the individual person. Mm-hmm. Can you discuss any challenges or unique aspects of treating spiritual abuse compared to other forms of trauma? Yeah.
1: One, I think, goes right along with what we were just talking about, that for some folks, they will identify their experience as traumatic. For other folks, they will not. The word trauma does not fit Or it may not fit for a time period. There may come a time when they're like, you know, I actually think this was trauma. So I think that can be a unique aspect. That does occur with other types of trauma sometimes, but I think that can be a unique aspect. Being aware of how spiritual abuse can impact every area of a person's life. Most of the people that I've talked to or worked with that are really dealing with after effects of spiritual abuse. So folks who, it wasn't like something happened and they were like, well, I'm done with this. And they just walked away, didn't think about it anymore. The folks who are really dealing with after effects, they were very involved. Their belief system, their community around their belief system was a huge part of their life. And so the impacts of untangling that, of possibly leaving that belief system or leaving that community impacts everything from, you know, it could be where do I work? Who do I hang out with? What kind of things do I do on the weekend? You know, loss of community, loss of friends, loss of family. So that can be a really unique and challenging piece. I think a lot of folks are not prepared for the grief that comes along and the complexity of the grief. Because often when you really get into it, there's a lot of mourning for what you've lost. And then there's moments when you recognize the aspects that were really life-giving, helpful, enjoyable, the things that you really, you're like, I'm so glad I had this experience. So that's a lot of complexity to hold on to of this was really bad and this part was really good. So I think those are some of the things that are really unique aspects with, with spiritual abuse. And then I think it can be helpful for folks to work with somebody who has some lived experience and can understand what it's like to have your world uprooted in that way from your very basic belief system. I definitely think that there are therapists and coaches and folks that can do this work and haven't necessarily had the lived experience But I think for some folks, working with somebody who can understand from a personal experience can be really helpful.
0: So this is something that I just thought about. And I'm curious if you have had a similar experience or have had this with your clients. Obviously, keep confidentiality, obviously. But so 2020 Mm -hmm. happened. And I know many a person who had the similar experience as I did, which was I was attending church regularly. I was a part of a community. I was volunteering. I was in a small group. 2020 comes along. We're watching online for a few months. And then I was like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't watch online anymore. Like, I just can't. And have not returned since then. It's 2023 now. Mm -hmm. Have not returned to church. Have, in fact, no desire to return to church. I, I have no guilt around this. What is so interesting is I was having this experience and then I started talking to others and they were like, same. I'm just curious if, is this a phenomenon that you've seen or have people been able to peel back some layers? I know, I know 2020 did that for a lot of us. Have you noticed that happening at all? Is this a thing? Is this, this a shared experience? A Okay. Yes,
1: Yes. this is a thing that I have had so many conversations about, you know, whether it's in my work with clients or with friends or with other therapists whose their own experience kind of got was a catalyst in 2020 or 2020 was a catalyst for their own experience around that. I've talked to folks that there was this feeling of like, okay, when I'm not there and I'm not serving and I'm not doing all the things, no one is talking to me. I I don't really actually feel like I have a community here. I feel like I was being valued because of what I could do. And now that those things are not possible anymore, where does this actually fit in my life? A lot of people had time that they hadn't had otherwise because the world kind of shut down. To kind of unravel, like, what do I actually believe? Is what I am hearing or what I have been taught, does that actually make sense to me? Does that make sense with what I'm seeing in the world? I've talked to lots of folks that there was some version of, you know, like, Jesus is all about loving people. And I'm not seeing that. And the place that I'm seeing that the least is with churches. So, yeah, it is definitely a phenomenon that for a lot of folks, I feel like either 2020 was the catalyst or the 2016 election was a catalyst and 2020 was kind of the breaking point of like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm done.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I just uh, occasionally it will come up and. For me, one of the conversations I had surrounding this was that it's not possible for me to just attend on Sunday Mm -hmm. because for me, it's like it becomes this immersive thing where all of a sudden my entire week is taken up. Yes. Yeah. And I'm doing, you know, something on Monday night, something on Wednesday night, then I'm there at, you know, 6 a.m. on Sunday and there all day until, till like 2 or 3 p.m. And so it was just interesting because like I got my, I got time back. I got mm-hmm. like, and, and that was of so much value to me, I think. And there, of course, there's also this deconstructing thing that happened simultaneously, but that's a whole nother episode. So yeah. So, okay. Well, thanks for speaking to that. Cause I was curious if that's something you've seen as well. Mm-hmm. So how can spiritual abuse affect someone who is creative? I'm so curious on this one. Yeah.
1: I a lot of times have seen folks who are really creative that their creativity is one of the ways that they connect with their spiritual side. And that that gets utilized in religious spaces, often taken advantage of in religious spaces that you're expected to whatever your, your talent, your creative bent is, whether it's, you know, poetry or singing or art, that you're expected to offer that service all the time. You're expected to be available. There is no compensation for your time or your talents and that when they start deconstructing, they start recognizing some spiritual abuse around that, they lose that connection. So it's like mm-hmm. this piece of the, that was so much a part of their identity and one of the ways that they really connected with their spiritual side is tainted and, and now gone. I also find that for a lot of creative folks, that can be a part of them that gets attacked. That, you know, it may be that you're, writing stories or painting pictures and that that you know you have meetings where your your topics are too worldly or they're not representing the spiritual correctly in your stories or what you're painting i've heard so many from so many especially female worship leaders who passionate about singing but they've had been confronted multiple times about what they were wearing or how they chose to express themselves while they were leading worship and while they were singing to the point that it might be really nitpicky kind of things of, you know, maybe you were wearing capris, but we require you to wear pants all the way down to your ankle, or you were wearing heels and we want you to wear flats or whatever it might be, you know? And so I think those are some of the ways that, creativity and folks who are creatives can really be impacted by spiritual abuse. Hmm. But I also think that creativity can be part of the healing process. When I lead groups for folks who, and I call my groups wounded by faith because I feel like that, regardless of how you view what happened, if you would say that you have, Experienced spiritual abuse, religious trauma, you've been wounded in some way within a faith context. In my groups, I will incorporate some creative options. Sometimes I, with my groups, I also run everything of by consent and autonomy. And so here is an option of something for you to do. It is a way to tap into another part of your brain in your healing process. It is not required. And so I'll bring some some of those things in. But I've also seen folks kind of bring creativity into their own healing, whether that is writing, like writing a memoir or a story, a book. It could be journaling. I've worked with folks that have kind of drawn out in intricate detail, like their whole spiritual path, because that was really healing for them to kind of see how things connected. And reconnecting with those things that you're passionate about, with a sense of of curiosity and finding that pleasure. You know, if you love to sing, okay, well let let's figure out how you can reconnect and find the pleasure and the joy in singing, and like take ownership of that again.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that's so similar to what you were saying earlier too about connecting with your body and really I mean it's beyond that but like just who you are as a mm-hmm. person apart from this experience or like you said the nitpickiness or whatever that could really maybe stifle some of the joy that you have in regards to some of these talents or things that you would want to pursue otherwise mm-hmm. a Term that we brought up twice, and I don't want to assume that people know what it means. Would you explain what deconstructing means? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think you would be a good one to answer this instead of me. So,
1: sure, and I appreciate you pointing that out because you're right, that's a word that some folks may not know what that means. So, basically, Deconstructing is the idea of you have these beliefs and you are taking the time to kind of take them apart, to look at them piece by piece. And I would say that is a healthy thing to do that throughout life that, you know, we we a healthy individual should be deconstructing things and rebuilding and figuring out what fits and what makes sense. For some folks, if they go through deconstruction or they deconstruct their religious beliefs, they also find themselves deconverting, which means that they no longer identify with their religious beliefs. That is not always the case. Some folks go through a deconstruction process and then they find themselves reconstructing or reclaiming some type of religious or spiritual beliefs that really fit for them. But those are some common common vocabulary words that are are used in
0: this realm mhm and then there's sometimes but not always a reconstruction mm-hmm. as well which would be the other side of that right. seeing the parts that you do believe right
1: right mhm and some folks will call that reconstruction some folks will call it reclamation mm-hmm. just kind of depending on what word resonates more for
0: you, <clears throat> okay, thank you for answering that in your opinion, do you think there's enough awareness about spiritual abuse in the mental health community?
1: I think there's definitely a growing awareness, especially with all of the recent there's been like recent memoirs released, recent documentaries, that it is a very hot topic. So there's definitely growing awareness. I think there can always be more awareness. And sometimes I I have concern about awareness for the right reasons. And what I mean by that is that I think sometimes it can be appealing to kind of follow where pop culture is going or kind of where, in one sense, where the money might be. If there's lots of people that are seeking support for spiritual abuse or things related to religious deconstruction, I think there can be folks that that that's appealing because that might be where the money is. And so I think it's important that it's folks that are invested in learning about these topics and caring about the journey of the folks who are healing and recovering so that more damage or abuse is not done. Because, I mean, as a therapist, like, I naturally am in somewhat of a hierarchy position, a leadership role when you're coming into session as my client. And as much as I might try to limit that, there's still that there a little bit. And it can mimic the leadership and the abuse that that happens within religion sometimes. So, I think it's important for mental health professionals and for folks seeking support to be aware of that.
0: Hmm. Definitely. I think one of the brewing questions I have is if you know someone who is in a situation that falls into this category of spiritual abuse, what do you recommend? I mean, do you like, (laughs) do you uh, recommend like approaching this person or just like letting people figure it out on their own? Like what is the best approach there? Mm -hmm.
1: That really depends on your relationship with the person and kind of what their feeling is about the situation. So for example, if you are very close to this person Y'all, you know, share very intimate details about your life with each other. You trust each other to kind of share things or point out like, hey, I have a concern about this. And you can tell that the person is kind of starting to question themselves or kind of starting to realize something doesn't quite feel right. That can be a good time to kind of broach it to say, like, I'm noticing you mentioned this happening within, you know, within your church or within your religion, or it seemed like you were really concerned about how that happened and kind of opened the conversation around that. If the person doesn't seem to have any awareness that what is happening is harmful and assuming this person is an adult and it's not, you know, something happening with a minor that needs to be reported, I would say be much, much more careful about how you tread. And also if it's a person that you really don't know that well, you know, they, it may be a space where you can say something about your own experience, but as far as speaking to their experience is likely going to put them more on the defensive than
0: being helpful. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a very wise approach. I think, you know, over the course of this conversation, I've thought about the extremes like cults mm-hmm. and things like that you know documentaries on netflix whatever for people listening i think it's good to make aware that this is like more common this is like is yes. churches down the street from you or mm-hmm. ministries that are names that you've heard of. this is not extremism this is like these are things that are happening and with people you probably know Mm -hmm. i mean percentage wise i'm guessing i don't have like the data in front of me but i'm guessing a lot of people are in this environment and don't know don't have the awareness around it or are being told, you know, or talking themselves out of it because of the religious context. Mm -hmm.
1: I think one of the important things is if someone does trust you enough to come to you and talk about their experience to validate what they're going through, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that they're saying. I think a lot of times people get confused of like, well, if I validate what you're saying, that means I agree. I can validate that what happened made you very upset without agreeing or necessarily even understanding why it made you upset. But I think when a lot of folks, when they are first at that spot where they're like, something's not quite right, and they reach out to tell someone that they're met with disbelief or sometimes with shame Or with blame, like it's turned back of, well, you obviously must have done something wrong. You must have caused this in some way. And it can be really powerful just to have somebody acknowledge like, wow, that sounds really hurtful. Like, It sounds like you're having a really hard time figuring out how to handle this. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's such a great point that validating doesn't mean agreeing. Mm Mm-hmm. Excellent point. So for those who might be going through something like this, people who might be listening, are there any resources that you would recommend?
1: I think it can be helpful to watch some of the documentaries that are coming out. I think it's important to be aware of like, what is the effect on your nervous system? If it feels like too much, stop. Lots of folks I've talked with have found it helpful to watch documentaries that are either very different from whatever their belief system was, but some of the same characteristics or documentaries about multi-level marketing companies, because some of the same characteristics play out, but it is far removed from the actual belief experience. So I think that can be helpful. There's memoirs that have come out and there's a couple of books i pulled them off my shelf to make sure i got the authors right if somebody is in a church or religious system and they want to understand more about what this looks like one book that can be really helpful is called trauma in the pews and the author of that is janine mcconaughey And she's focused on childhood trauma, but it really applies so much to spiritual abuse, religious trauma, and understanding like the folks that are in your group, your organization, your church. Likely there are folks with trauma. If you're working with the public, there are folks with trauma. And then another book that recently came out that I think can be helpful for folks that are kind of processing, what in the world was my experience? Maybe they want to understand a little bit of the kind of the brain stuff, but they don't want to go super deep, is When Religion Hurts You, and that is by Laura E. Anderson. So I think those are a couple helpful books. One podcast that I really think is helpful is called Bodies Behind the Bus, And it is a podcast that was started by two individuals that had their own experience of spiritual abuse and religious trauma, and they just want a platform where folks can share their stories. So if someone is feeling really isolated and alone or they're questioning, like, has anybody else have ever had this kind of experience? Episodes of that podcast can be really helpful. And then I think, therapy can be really helpful. I know I'm a little bit biased on that one, but I think that therapy can be super helpful. And, you know, for folks that are in North Carolina, if they're dealing with this, you know, I'm happy to see if we're a good fit or help them connect with someone who is. Also, the Reclamation Collective has a therapist directory on their website of therapists who work with religious trauma. And so that could be a good place to find someone that's in your particular location.
0: Those were great. Thank you for sharing those. So I think I had a little bit of an aha moment early on when you were speaking about Watching documentaries on MLMs. So I also, so I was part of a ministry and for years on staff with the ministry. And then also I was a part of an MLM. I've been a part of multiple MLMs, but I was really a part of one in particular. And... I have to say there are a lot of similarities. I had a yeah. moment. I'm going to have to go process that after this recording, but that was, that was a moment. So yeah. thank you for saying that.
1: Yeah. I, I have talked to so many people that watching some of the MLM documentaries, that that was really the space where they could make connections because it was like this is taken out of my belief system like this is not about what i think about god jesus the bible or whatever the beliefs may be but i can see a lot of the same dynamics playing out in how things are set up Mm. um, and how people treat each other and what's
0: expected so there's definitely a lot of super super interesting that was a great point there so Please tell us how people can connect with you if they're curious and want to explore more.
1: One good way to connect is my website, so it is my name, michellefmosley.com. So that is m i c h e l l e f m-o-s-e-l-e-y.com and that's got information about me it's got information about all of the different things that I have coming up whether that be groups around religious trauma or training events you know continuing education for other mental health providers and a contact form just to reach out You know, if you have a question or concern about something that I might be able to help with. And then also I'm on Instagram and my handle there is therapy underscore with underscore Michelle.
0: Perfect. And we will also link all of that in the show notes as well. So it'll be super easy for people to find you. And As we close and our listeners go about their day, what's one small action or mindset shift you would encourage them to try based on our discussion?
1: The thing that really came to mind to me was recognizing that all of us can benefit from therapy at various points in our lives. For some folks, it is a longer term thing. For other folks, it might be just a few sessions to help you figure out or deal with a situation That is going on, but I do firmly believe we can all benefit from from therapy. Various points, and we can all be part of breaking the stigma around getting the support that we need for our mental health. So that's what I would want to leave folks with.
0: Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much, Shell, for your insights and what you've shared today. I think this is really going to help and benefit a lot of people. So. We are grateful for you for that, too.
1: Thank you all so much for having me. I really enjoyed having this conversation, getting to share share some of this information with the rest of the world.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to join Jen and I on this episode of the Creative Collective podcast. We hope that you learned something new today and would really encourage you to take the time to reflect on what you learned today and just jot it down. Uh, This is the best part about listening to podcasts and new content is that we get to learn new things and we are just super excited for 2024 and grateful that you've joined us on this journey and so many exciting things are to come. We would encourage you to join our community on Facebook, Creative Collective Community. Uh, Go ahead and join, and uh, we invite you in to join the conversation about being a creative and what it looks like to show up authentically in this world. Uh, We can't wait to join you next time.